Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Most of the brothers have have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. What does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, I will also continue to rejoice, because I know that this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honoured in my body, whether by life or death. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I don't know which one I choose. I am torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, but to remain in the flesh is necessary for your sake. Since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that, because of my coming to you again, your boasting is in Christ Jesus, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. Thanks very much for reading, Bridget. My name is James. I'm part of the team here, and it's my privilege to have a look at this passage together with you as we continue thinking about this, the book of Philippians and how joy, the, the privilege and uh, capacity for Christians to find great joy uh, is such a strong theme in the letter and one of the wonderful riches of knowing Jesus. We'll see plenty of that tonight. But just before we get into the detail, I want you to imagine a scenario. Uh, Imagine that uh, tomorrow morning the National Parliament down in Canberra passed a law that said Christianity, you know, mainstream Christianity, public gatherings in Anglican churches was now illegal. Uh, And if if you do anything that exhibits any sort of public um, expression of Christian faith, you're in strife. The ministry staff uh, would get arrested. This wonderful building that we've invested in Uh, gets confiscated and now belongs to the government. Uh, If you go to work and there's some uh, hint that you're a Christian, uh, there's a chance you'll get sacked and arrested. Um, And uh, just how how would you respond if that was the case, if if those things happened? It's not completely far-fetched. This is the reality for some Christians around the world. Um, And what I've just described is not too dissimilar to the situation Paul is in when he's writing his letter. And how, how would you handle that reality? Maybe uh, frustration and anger. God, what are you doing? Wh- where are you? Why would you let this happen, God? Maybe just uh, confusion. Why would, why would God allow this? Imagine there'd be all kinds of emotions. Incredibly... In this passage, uh, Paul, who's in a similar situation, we find him rejoicing. Have a look at verse 18. 
Um, he's described his situation. Then towards the end of the verse, he says, In this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. That is mind-boggling. Absolutely mind-boggling that in a situation like what I've just described, Paul is rejoicing. And he contemplates things happening in the future where he'll continue rejoicing. That is, it, it feels impossible. It's impossible joy, like lighting a fire at the bottom of the ocean. Um, he's in this awful circumstance, and yet he's rejoicing. How is that possible? Um, and don't you want that kind of joy that's strong in all circumstances? Well, I think we can. Um, and tonight we're going to think about uh, a few things. Uh, what is Paul's situation and why is he rejoicing? What is Paul's situation and why is he rejoicing? And then I've got three lessons, three things for us to think about, three implications about what we can learn from Paul's example. So first of all, Paul's situation and Paul's joy. The first thing to understand that uh, Paul is in prison. Now, we don't know the precise nature of his imprisonment, um, uh, but I think any, any form of prison uh, is pretty unpleasant. I don't know if anyone here has been in prison. Um, you're probably not going to raise your hand and um, tell us. That's okay. Uh, but it wouldn't be very pleasant. Um, and back in ancient Rome, um, I'm sure prison there wouldn't have been that flash either. Having your, your liberty, your freedom to do what you want, absolutely restricted. It's likely that Paul was probably chained uh, to a Roman guard 24-7. You know, they would have been on a roster. How this happened? Um, well, if you read the book of Acts, um, uh, you read about Paul's journeys around the Mediterranean, and towards the end of Acts, he goes to Jerusalem, and he's arrested. The, the Jews didn't like the fact that he was preaching about Jesus. They arrested him. There was a bunch of different sort of legal trials before different authorities. And then eventually, um, he ends up taking a boat uh, to Rome to go to the, you know, the highest court uh, in, in Rome. And you can read about that in Acts as well. And, and that's where we think Paul is writing this letter. Um, he doesn't say that, but just from constructing his life, he's writing from prison in Rome to this church um, in Philippi. Um, so he's in prison. Um, he's in prison in one of the biggest cities in the world at that time. Uh, and more than that, while he's in prison, there's people trying to make his life difficult. As you read on, um, we read of other people outside prison preaching Christ. And yes, there's some of them are his friends and they're doing it for good reasons. Uh, we'll touch on that a bit later. But there's others that aren't doing it to sort of stand by Paul. They're doing it to make life difficult for him out of envy. Um, so look in Verse 17, some of them proclaiming Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely thinking that, not sincerely, excuse me, thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. We don't know who these people are. They clearly seem to be other Christians. They're not false teachers. They are proclaiming Christ, but they're doing it with this sinister motive. Maybe they knew as more and more Christian preaching happened, the Roman authorities will get more and more angry, and, and then that would cause more trouble for Paul. Maybe they were jealous of him. He'd been the big leader that everyone knew, and now that he's in prison, they got their chance to, you know, be at the forefront, uh, the one that everyone knows. I'm not sure. We don't know a lot about these people. But imagine being in prison, and 
being betrayed by other Christian teachers who are trying to make your life difficult while you're in prison. That can't be pleasant. Uh, And more than that, more than being in prison, more than having people trying to make his life difficult, Paul faces the real prospect of death by punishment. Just let that sink in. The real, it's a real possibility that Paul will uh, face uh, some kind of legal outcome in the Roman system and be executed. You've probably seen the movies, like, well, Gladiator is a pretty old movie these days. Um, some of you probably never heard of it. You might see blank faces. Um, have, you, have you heard of Russell Crowe? No. Anyway, probably not. Um, don't worry. Um, it's, n- it's not actually, movies aren't a good guide, but it's, it's quite literally the case that in the first century, Emperor Nero, around this time, w- was known for his hostility against Christians. And they would be, this is what they did. The, they'd be, go before the emperor and thumbs down means you're gone. And some, some early Christians literally were fed to the lions. Um, and that's a real prospect for Paul. So his, his situation is just awful. We, we can't imagine it. Awful. Um, and confusing. He, he's God's appointed missionary to go around the known world and take the message of Jesus. He'd done that with success, but now that's been, that's been brought to a halt. Why? Um, but incredibly, as we read, Paul is rejoicing. The impossible joy. Um, the fire under the, uh, under the water. And we read in verse 18, why? Paul says, what does it matter? What does it matter that um, I'm in prison? What does it matter that there's these other people out there trying to make life difficult for me? Um, only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. That's what brings Paul joy, uh, that his Lord and Savior, the name of Jesus, is going out. Uh, and he finds a joy in that truth that is absolutely uh, unextinguishable. It's resilient to all kinds of circumstances. Um, we get an incredible insight here into, you know, one of the big characters in the Bible, one of the, the most effective early Christian missionary. Um, and it's just, it's, it's astonishing. Don't, don't you want that type of joy? Joy that isn't sort of, isn't tainted by your circumstances? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Well, I think we can have it. Um, I think we can have it. Um, let's spend a few minutes now, or the remainder of our time, just talking about three, three lessons from this that I think will help us uh, understand where this joy comes from, how it can be ours, those types of things. I think the first lesson, when we see Paul's example here, is that he's, he's someone for whom Christ's success is more important than his own success. So this is a, this is a challenge to us. As we think about life, uh, would you say that the, the name of Jesus, his, the advance of the gospel, Christ's success is more important than your own success? Um, the, the basic premise of life, I think we all agree, is that you know, we try and attain personal success. Um, in whatever that looks like, um, 
you know, we for some people it's getting through uni and getting a, a well-paid job so that you can be have a satisfying career and um, earn money to buy a house and enjoy things. For some others, it's being part of and and maybe starting and growing a, a happy family. Um, uh, for some of you, it might be paying off the mortgage and, and really enjoying retirement. I mean, it's it's the air we breathe, right? The, the goal of life is to have success. And, you know, however you define it, and people, you know, emphasise different things. But whatever whatever your sort of aim, whatever your plan is, uh, whether you can articulate it or not, it's always our success. It's us. It's our happiness, our satisfaction. Um, so what are your aspirations? Is it to make money, to get a good job, to travel? None of these things is to be despised inherently. Um, but we get this different picture with Paul. Um, we get this different picture with Paul. He's unconcerned for his own success, but he's utterly consumed by the success of Christ. Um, you know, for some of us, we become Christian, we, we come to follow Jesus, we find a place for God in our life. You know, he, come and join me, God. You can, um, I'll give you 20% of, of, of sort of my, my time and my thought. Um, but in reality... God doesn't become part of our life. We become part of his life uh, and the cause of Christ. Um, and that's where Paul's joy comes from. Now, um, it's really hard to develop that joy when death uh, just hovers over us like a dark cloud. Because here's the default, the default mindset, right? I'm sure you'll agree. Um, life is good. Death is bad. Therefore, uh, what makes life, therefore, is about just squeezing as much pleasure and experience and success into these 70, 80, 90 years God gives me, because after that, it's over. I mean, that is, if, if, you, if, if you don't agree with me, that's just the fundamental way that people think. Um, I think, learn that it is. Um, but we need to step out of that mindset in order to uh, value Christ's success more than our success. Some of you probably heard of the concept of a bucket list. Um, there's a movie about it, but basically a bucket list is it's a thing you it's a list of things you want to do before you die. You know, travel, um, whatever, go skydiving. I don't know. Most most people probably don't have actual bucket lists, but we all live with a bucket list mindset that says death is the end, therefore everything now is about maximising my pleasure in life. Um, but uh, Jesus has done something incredible for us which nullifies that logic. This is why Paul, I think, gives us his, his example in the second half of the chapter. I'm not going to speak long on this, but uh, from verse 21-ish onwards, he's describing to the Philippians... Uh, what's coming up for him. And what's outrageous is that in, for Paul, life and death are both good options. He, he utters those famous words, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Um, and then 23, incredibly, I'm torn between the two. I mean, imagine saying that. Imagine death being a real possibility and 
uh, obviously life being another possibility, and, and actually thinking and saying, uh, I'm not sure which one I want here. Uh, in fact, he goes on. He says, uh, I'm torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is better. So it's not just that life and death are both good. He says death is better because he gets to go and be with Jesus, um, to be in the presence of the one who's died for us uh, and who loves us. Now, don't, don't, mishear, don't misunderstand this. Um, Paul, nowhere in the Bible sort of promotes um, this idea that, you know, it's better to sort of take our lives and, and, you know, that's a good thing to do. You know, that's what God wants. Don't, don't twist it in that way. Um, but Paul here says being with Christ is what he desires. Um, and it's because of that, it's because uh, life and death are both good options that we're freed up to value the cause of Christ more than our own life because we won't ultimately miss out. Uh, when this life is over, we've got so much more to look forward to uh, that'll be better. Um, so that's the challenge, isn't it? Is Christ's success more important to you than your own success? Uh, a few indicators might be how you view um, other churches. If there's a church that's going really well, um, do you rejoice in that or do you get a bit jealous? What about ministries within church? Um, do, you, do you only experience joy when a ministry, maybe to youth group, is going well because you're involved and you don't really celebrate the success of other ministries that you're not involved in? Um, that might be an indicator. Um, either way, the example of Paul's clear. His joy comes because he values Christ's success more than his own success. All right, second sort of reflection, second lesson. We learn from this chapter that uh, there is joy to be found in all circumstances. All circumstances. Uh, our God is so powerful that he can work through any and every situation to bring about the advance of the gospel. That's why Paul says in verse 12, he's saying to the Philippians, listen, what's happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. That's not what they were expecting to hear. They've just heard that Paul's been arrested. Paul says it's actually advanced the gospel. Um, it, it wouldn't be a strategy you'd go with to imprison the leading missionary uh, to advance the gospel, but that's what's happened. Um, as it says... It's become known throughout the whole Imperial Guard. Some estimates reckon that this Imperial Guard was like a 9,000-strong uh, troop of the, the top Roman soldiers, people that um, would have been well-credentialed, probably known perhaps to the emperor and the other officials, re really the, the elite, um, 9,000 of them apparently. And can you imagine, I've got this image, I'm speculating here, but imagine the shift turnover. Uh, when one bloke comes back from prison and gives the key to the next bloke and says, oh, man, that Paul, he never shuts up. Uh, that's all he wants to do is just tell you about this Jesus guy who, you know, he was crucified, for goodness sake, and Paul's saying he's the Lord of the world and raised from the dead. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> um, uh, Paul 
was just so consumed with advancing Christ that he took whatever opportunity was given to him. And that's because uh, God's plans can't be thwarted by human circumstances. This is what Narelle Hatfield was saying last week, if you were here. She quoted that uh, verse from Genesis 50, which comes at the end of the Joseph story. And if you know the Joseph story, he was imprisoned by his uh, brother. He wasn't imprisoned. He was betrayed by his brothers and went through all kinds of difficulties in Egypt. Uh, But then, you know, things came good. And he says, hey, listen, don't worry. What, What you planned for evil, God planned for good, for the saving of many lives. This is how God works. It's the same with Joseph, Paul, with Jesus, who died on a cross. Uh, the, the biggest injustice we've ever seen, a massive failure uh, by human standards. But that was God's way of saving the world. Um, see, God works in all kinds of circumstances to advance the gospel. Let me tell you about these people briefly. This is the Abdullah family. Um, Danny and Leela on the left, their children on the right. A couple of years ago, um, there was an awful pedestrian traffic accident in northwestern Sydney. Uh, a drunk and drug-affected driver careered off the road and um, uh, impacted uh, a group of children, uh, and four children were killed by the accident. Three of them were Danny and Leela's, the three of their children, and their cousin as well, their, their niece. Um, awful. That's an awful accident. Um, absolutely tragic. Danny and Leela are Christians, and at the time, they made it their their, their deliberate, and public, uh, and active plan to forgive the driver of the vehicle, a fellow called Sam Davidson, uh, and they expressed that to him. I think the story. Was, was in the media quite a lot. And it's come back into the media in the last few months. And let me tell you why. Uh, the driver that's now in prison as a result of the incident has become a Christian. He's turned to Christ uh, and trusts Jesus for salvation. And when Danny and Leela had a chance to ask his fellow what happened, uh, he, his answer was simple. He said, I just, I want what you have. I want what you have. So the, the, the witness and words of this family towards that fellow in, in the most awful circumstances has had an eternal impact. Um, and it's in the news this week because these guys told their story in, a, um, in a, a national event down in Canberra earlier this week. I mean, no, no one's dismissing or, or minimising just the tragedy of what happened. We're not doing that. But do you see how God can turn th- just, the, the, just the most terrible of events and work through them to bring about the advance of the gospel? He's a very powerful God. And he works in incredible ways that defy human logic. It's a reminder to us uh, it's reminded of you that if you're going through difficulty, which no doubt all of us are in different ways, um, that is not necessarily a sign that God has abandoned you. In, in fact, it's not a sign. Not, I wouldn't say not necessarily. Uh, it's not the case that God has put up his feet and decided that, well, he's going to 
just take a pause uh, in his mission and, and move on to something else. Now, quite the contrary. Um, God may be at work through your very trial, the, the very thing which is making life difficult for you, uh, to advance his purposes, to grow you, to see others come to know Christ. It's hard to see how that's happening sometimes, but uh, don't be deceived. This is how God works. Uh, right throughout church history, it's often been the case that the, the most wonderful times of God's kingdom growing haven't been the ordinary times of, of prosperity and, and peace, but rather difficulty. Um, God can work in all circumstances and therefore the joy of seeing Christ's name advance is available to us in all circumstances. Thirdly, um, as well as looking for God's hand in things, it's, it's appropriate for us to be opportunistic, opportunistic that, that we might take hold of that joy by taking uh, opportunities God gives us for the cause of the gospel. This is what Paul did. He was in prison. He thought, I'm going to make the most of this. And God, whenever situated in places or, or workplaces or circumstances by accident, now, God places his people where he wants them. Um, there's a, a very provocative book title by a fellow called John Piper. He says, Don't Waste Your Cancer. It raised my eyebrow uh, when I read it. But his point is, uh, one of his points in one of the chapters is, uh, when these awful circumstances come upon you, don't waste your opportunity to bear witness to Jesus uh, and speak of him uh, in a powerful way. Um, don't under underestimate what can be achieved by bearing witness to Jesus in your hardest moments. Um, I've, I've seen this happen in my life with others, maybe you have as well, that when someone endures hardship um, and yet still exhibits peace and a deep contentment, even joy in, in knowing Jesus amidst whatever's going on, that, that, is, that is just incredibly powerful, incredibly powerful. Um, maybe you currently have an illness or some other situation that brings you into contact with people. If, if you've been sick or you know someone's sick, you meet lots of nurses and doctors. Um, there's, there's all kinds of situations. I don't know what everyone's circumstances are. But rest assured that if you're going through difficulty, to live with peace and contentment because you cherish Christ uh, is incredibly powerful. Don't waste those opportunities. One of the other things John Piper says in, in a lot of his writing he says that God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. That's, his, that's a summary of lots of things he says. God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. Notice, notice how he brings together our joy and his glory. Um, what he means by that statement is that if, if you come across someone who, who cherishes 
Christ, who's in so in love with Christ and what he's done for us and, and comprehends his beauty and just full of delight at, at all the spiritual riches that he gives us. Someone values that and, you know, holds on to that peace and joy in all kinds of different circumstances um, and, and, and hardships and trials don't take away from that joy, well, how, how, how wonderful must that Christ be? How wonderful must that Christ be if it produces joy in people in all kinds of circumstances? Um, that's, that's what Paul did. That's what Paul was like. That's the kind of opportunities that God puts before us. Look for opportunities to advance Christ in all circumstances. Uh, let me finish just with a, uh, one illustration. Oh, uh, I think I was missing a, an image. That's fine. I'll tell you. Um, there's a musical called Wicked. I don't know if anyone's seen it. Hands up if you've seen it. It's good. Oh, good, good, good. Better than some of the other gatherings. Um, it's... If you don't know what it is, it's an adaptation of The Wizard of Oz. Um, and there's a song in Wicked called For Good. It's, it's a really good song. Check it out on Spotify. It's basically the main character singing about how she's come to know this other character and it's really changed her for good. Um, anyway, there's one line in that song which just strikes me as a perfect analogy of the Christian life. Um, it says... And this is the person describing life. So, like a comet, uh, let me, it's normally on the slide, let me. Um, no, so I'm not singing, I heard that. Um, it's basically, it says, like a, like a comet um, drawn from orbit as it passes the sun. Um, who, someone knows it? Oh, there you go. Where was it? I must have lost it. Like a comet pulled from orbit as it passes the sun. There you go. Not close enough. Uh, so imagine this. Imagine a comet in space on its trajectory. Um, and, then, and then it... And, and that's us, right? Normal life trajectory. Pursue success. Personal happiness. Squeeze everything in before death. We're on this trajectory. And then, and then we come into proximity. Like the orbit... Like the comet comes into proximity to the sun and just is pulled from orbit and is now revolving around the sun. And it's like when we come to learn of Christ, who he is, what he's done, we're pulled from our own life trajectory and now life is just about revolving around him. I said earlier, God and Christ doesn't fit into our life, we fit into his. His storyline is the storyline of history. And, and so now our life is just revolving around him. As it should. This is, this is what happened to Paul. This is what God does in us. This is what God does in us. And, and when you're revolving around the, the beautiful, loving, holy Lord Jesus who has died for us, there is joy in all circumstances. There's not comfort or happiness or ease, but there is joy in all circumstances. And, and we get to be included in his mission. And God uses our circumstances to advance his name. That's a, that's a wonderful thing. Um, 
I think this joy that we learn about is available to us. Uh, why don't I pray that God would give it to us? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful part of your word. We thank you for the Lord Jesus who assures us of eternal life and um, uh, we thank you for the privilege of being called to his service. Help us not to be deceived by the ways of the world that value just personal success above all else. Help us to value Christ's success more than our own and we pray that we would find great joy in the name of Jesus and in his mission in whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. Give us great discernment to be able to see your hand at work in difficulties and give us uh, discernment to, to know how we might make the most of opportunities you give us, uh, that our lives might be uh, useful in proclaiming Christ. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.